just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's only Tuesday, but already things popping. Some new stuff happening, some oldies but goodies, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, Had a good day yesterday. It was kind of relaxing. My wife and I went out for like a day trip and didn't do much of anything. Stopped in a casino, wasted a little bit of money, went out to eat. Good night. It was just pretty low key. And uh, that's one of the things I appreciate about being essentially retired. Uh, I get up when I get up. I go to bed when I go to bed. And clearly I go to bed late every night because, well, I'm doing the podcast. But uh, it's nice to have some freedom. You know, And when you're young and you want to be rich and famous, you think that's it. That's all you need. But I tell you what, when you get to a point where you're just comfortable, but you have freedom, freedom to do what you want when you want. That is really the goal you should be going after because that is probably the most valuable thing I have right now. If my son called me right now and said, I need you to watch my kids, I'd be there in a half hour. It doesn't matter. I don't have to be anywhere specifically. If I need to do a podcast, I'll just bring a computer with me and when they're asleep, I'll fucking do the podcast. So, Anyway, it was a relaxing day yesterday, and that's good news. And it was a Monday. Most people hate Mondays. I don't care about Mondays. I mean, for me, every day's fucking Saturday, so it's fine. Anyhow, let's get to getting. Uh, we'll start out with some pod, uh, podcasts. We'll start out with some emails to the podcast. And uh, I have three of them today. So let's get to it. Now, this first one comes from Brenton who has written many times. Evening, Mike. I've been off the grid for a few days, catching up on reading, and I purged on the last few podcasts. As good as they were today, I don't even want to talk about Trump. I don't even want to mention politics. I want to thank you for inspiring so many listeners like myself who felt hopeless and lost during this election cycle. Two years ago, literally November 20th, 2020, I had several life-changing events happen in a span of several weeks. I mean, back-to-back, divorce, death, and financial woes. I happened to scroll on one of your social platforms, and I saw your videos in December of 2020, and I've been a follower ever since. The videos kept me sane and helped me distract myself from everything that was going on. You know what's ironic about this, Brenton? (laughs) As much as you say I kept you sane, my wife says I keep her insane. I don't know how that works exactly. Anyway, thank you for reminding me constantly to stay positive. No matter how things look, always stay positive. Through that positive mindset, I found a new love. I have a baby on the way in December, which will be my third child who I assume you'll be calling Rational or Mike. I'm just offering that up as a suggestion. I now have a booming engineering career, and I just opened my real estate business here in Michigan. Just like you, I promised myself to always show up. So no matter if I don't want to do it, I show up anyways, and it has changed my life. 
So thank you, my friend, for the humor and the positive information you always bring to the listeners. I'm looking forward to seeing where your platform goes in 2023 and beyond. We all need a steady beacon in the next few years. Keep up the good work. Brenton from Michigan. Now, I love that. I love that because too often people will get in troubled times and they will think all is lost and just give up. Well, we got a long road here. (laughs) And we do have to look at things positively. It does us no good to take a negative attitude about things. You know, as I've said regarding our governmental and our political situation in this country, uh, it may look bad now, but all too often from bad comes good or even better. And you have to take that mindset. The only reason I can take that mindset is because I've seen it over and over again throughout my life. I've had my bad days. I've had my trials, tribulations, tragedies. And there were times when you'd think all is lost, financial, personal, whatever. There were times when all of us feel all is lost, nothing is ever going to be fixed, and my life is ruined. But that's almost never the case, you know, unless you have some kind of terminal disease or something. But even still, you're getting out from under the troubles with the terminal disease, assuming you believe in something after this life. But 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 anyway, I mean, one of the things I've learned more than anything is the most valuable bit of information or, or advice that I've gotten and I now give is just persevere. Keep pushing through. As bad as it may seem, what's that old quote, and this too shall pass? That's not just a phony old quote. That is true. But you got to keep pushing forward. It's the people that give up that get stuck and never find that shining light. And somebody like Brenton here, uh, you couldn't have much more trouble than what he illustrated. And now things are booming and looking up for him. So it can be done. But you got to persevere. So, Brenton, congratulations. I'm very, very, very happy for you. I didn't know you were going through those troubles back in 2020. I didn't know you at all at that point. Uh, but I'm glad to hear you pushed through it and got to where you are now. And you're very deserving of everything you have right now, simply because of who you are and because of your perseverance. Keep it going, Brenton. It's going to get better. All right, this next one comes from Deb. Hi, Mike. I hope your week is going well. A couple of things I want to share. Michael Moore was not the only famous person that agreed with your your pre-midterms uh, uh, predictions. James Carville also did. He was on MSNBC stating the same thing as Michael Moore and you prior to the midterm elections. And you are absolutely right. James Carville was espousing that, too. And I love James Carville. He's just a crusty guy that knows his shit, and he doesn't really give a fuck. Favorite qualities of a human being. But anyway, you're right, Deb. It was James Carville as well. As for Deb or Debbie, you question in my last email. I just signed Deb because it's less to type. I answered a pretty much... Any variation of Debbie except Deborah, accent on or, Deborah, Deborah, gotcha. My dad is the only one that calls me that and only when I make him mad. Got it, got it. I like the idea of the special counsel. Jack Smith, he seems like a badass. I'm looking forward to this finally making some headway. 
And lastly, Rachel Maddow's Ultra had its final episode. I listened to it today. After your three podcasts, damn, this needs to go viral. People need to hear this story. We need to learn from our past mistakes, or this country will keep repeating them. The entire story was so compelling, yet so terrifying, that it was actually happening right now. Different characters, but oh so eerily similar. I pray for a different outcome with much more jail time for offenders. Keep up the great work. I can't say enough of how I, how thankful I am of you and or how I found your podcast with your help. And in doing that, found a few others I enjoy too. Have a great day. Deb, Debbie, etc. You know, I will say about that, I just hooked my wife up so she can listen to the podcast. And you know, really... When you think about what Rachel Maddow has done with this ultra podcast, it's a little more than a podcast. I mean, I'm doing a podcast here. I sit down. I talk about stuff. But what she's doing is really a production. It's almost more like an audiobook slash documentary because she tells it like she's telling a story. And she is, of course. But it's very entertaining in that respect. It's like an audiobook because you're waiting for the next thing to happen. And when the show ends, you're excited about the next segment to catch up or see the resolution of what happened in the one you just listened to. But what's also interesting, and I heard somebody bring this up on TV today that was talking about it, it was in, it's intriguing how they were able to get this archive audio on the show. Um, there's a, um, I think it was a Senator Lundeen, from right here in Minnesota, who was in the first part of the story of the podcast. And you're hearing this guy's voice from 1940. It really adds so much to it. Um, to call her show a podcast and, and, and my show a podcast is, there's really no comparison. There's a lot of production that goes into what Rachel Maddow is doing. Everything is written. Everything is edited, directed, produced. It's a much different situation than what you're hearing with this podcast. I mean, we all want different things at different times, but if you like audiobooks, if you like documentaries, you're going to love that Rachel Maddow podcast, and I would suggest that you, um, that you listen to it. All right. We have another <clears throat> We have one more email to get to, and this one comes from Gordon. He's a guy that's written a number of times, too. Hey, Boomer, for your information, I just found the fucked-up man who shot up the gay club in Colorado is Mormon. Yep, there's no greater love than the Mormon hate. In other words, the church wants to tell you they love the gay community, but then preach that their sin, which isn't a sin, is next to murder in God's eyes. So you can see there's not much love there at all, just thought. And you'd like to be like that bit of information. I, I don't know if this dipshit was active Mormon or not. Doesn't really matter. Hate is hate. Thanks, Boomer Gordon. Yeah, you know, I i don't know a lot about Mormonism. The only thing I knew about Mormonism is when I lived in some shitty little town in northern Arizona when I had one of my first jobs in radio and the town was all Mormon. I've told you this story before. My boss was Mormon. My landlord was born Mormon. Most of the people around me were Mormon. Uh, so being a 19-year-old kid hitting the bars partying wasn't quite as exciting. Those bars were pretty sparse when it came to people because the Mormons weren't going. 
But it was interesting. Um, um, I learned a lot about the Mormons, and I have to be perfectly honest, all the time I was there interacting with Mormons, they were all very nice to me. I mean, at the same time, I knew how they kind of looked down at me because I wasn't a Mormon, because I was a Lutheran. That's how I was raised anyway. Uh, And they did a lot of work trying to convert you. I had guys with film strips and suits knocking on my door all the time. And the problem I had was I can't tell them to fuck off because my landlord and my boss and everybody else is Mormon. So I got to kind of keep it cool. I kind of had to placate them for a while, which I did do. But a lot of people describe Mormonism as a cult. Now, I will tell you this. I know there is a certain amount of racism in my experience with Mormonism. That's just my opinion. I'm sure they would deny that. But, uh, you know, when you're talking about religions, whether it be Mormons, evangelicals, Catholics, whatever, they're a lot like political parties. What they say and what they believe aren't necessarily all the same. You know, they're politically motivated, so they got to keep a certain amount of image, and they want to give the appearance of giving goodwill so they can get more more uh, people to join their faith or what have you. I mean, organized religion is really having a problem. Their audience is starting to tail off. And it's largely due to the fact when you see what's going on with the evangelicals, it's so hypocritical, it's ridiculous. Uh, Who wants to be part of that? And of course, we're getting millennials and Gen Zs. We're getting entirely new generations. I heard somebody say something, and I find it very interesting. And it kind of ties into something that I've talked to you about before. They say that in 2028, not 2024, but 2028, um, Millennials and Gen Zs will be the majority voters in this country. Now you can see why the Republicans and the trump are so desperate. They see their end coming in the not-so-distant future. We're talking like six years from now. Because these young kids aren't going to vote for them. And if you need proof, just look at the midterms we just had. One of the main reasons, well, one of the two main reasons why the Republicans had such a shitty midterms is because of the vote from the young people. And, of course, overturning Roe v. Wade. The women had a little problem with that, of course, even though the Republicans thought they'd gotten over it. But in just a short time, in a short six years, as I've said before, the millennials and the Gen Zs will pretty much take over as the majority voting blocks in this country. And that means that will be the end of the old white man rule. That spells a lot of trouble for the Republican Party, and it goes back to what I said before. The Republicans, at least the MAGA Republicans, are all excited about their three or four seat margin in the House, like they've got some power, and they, of course, don't have any fucking power, not enough to really do anything. Um, But... Once these young people come into their, uh, their majority, which they are coming, the Republican Party, as it is, is just going to fade away. That's why, even though they have the majority in the House, they have the split amongst the MAGAs and the relatively normal Republicans, 
And the normal, normal, normal Republicans understand this situation. They just lost a horrible midterm. So they realize they have to make a change. If they don't change the image of the Republican Party and appeal to some of these younger people, well, then they're going to become extinct. They know this. The MAGAs, well, they're too stupid to fucking know this. But the others understand this. And they need to act now because we're talking five, six years from now when they'll be all but extinct. So that's where I think the Republicans are going to have problems with their alleged majority in the House. I don't look at at it as they have a majority because they don't. They're split. We've got two factions in the Republican Party, and they can't come together on anything. You know, we got uh, Kevin McCarthy out there acting like it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to be the Speaker of the House. Well, I don't think so. I think he might be the last motherfucker that becomes the Speaker of the House because one faction will vote for him, the other faction won't. And since you need 218 votes to be named or elected to the Speaker of the House position, he doesn't have a fucking chance. He doesn't have a chance. And neither does anybody else. Who are they going to get to appeal to these two factions when they're polar opposites. The Republicans are in for some trouble. And not only trouble because of, uh, of uh, the split in their ideology, but this Jack Smith, Smith thing, this uh, special counsel that's come in. The more I read about this guy, he is a, uh, he's a motherfucker. He don't fuck around. And a lot of people thought that when Merrick Garland brought him in, it would just slow everything down. And now what it appears to be is that he's going to speed it up. The main reason is Merrick Garland can't know everything about everything. He's dealing with tons of employees. He's dealing with multiple cases. And he can't focus on any one case, no matter how important it is. So he brings in Jack Smith. He says, you focus on the January 6th insurrection and the top secret documents. And that's all he's focusing on. Give you an idea how fast this guy works. They made an announcement yesterday that Jack is now up to speed, which means he had to read 1,000, 1,200, 1,500 pages, read all this stuff, and agree with it. <laughs> that's fucking amazing. He's obviously a very sharp guy, and he's the kind of guy that is a bulldog, and he acts fast and decisive. And that is the last thing the Republicans want to hear. They know Merrick Garland has to deal with political issues. Jack Smith does not. They know Merrick Garland has a lot of other duties and can't focus on everything all at once, but Jack Smith can. So... What I thought would slow this thing down, it seems like it's going to speed it up. And that's good to hear because we're all anxious to, uh, to get to getting here and get some things done and get some indictments. And all of this is going to have a serious impact on the House of Representatives, too. We've got at least seven people that asked for, for pardons, and we know they were involved in the insurrection. We've got one senator. Ron Johnson, who was clearly involved in the fake electors, things could start happening in the House that could change everything. If they start expelling or at least indicting and getting people out of Congress, 
If that happens, then there's going to be a lot of special elections. And of course, there could be more Republicans coming in behind them, but there could be some Democrats and realize that we only have a three or four seat difference. So it's not going to take much to change the scale here. It could go to the Democrat side. And if that happens, God help the fucking Republicans. All right, this story I want to talk to you about, you'll like this one. It's kind of an oldie, but a goodie. It's one of the first stories that came out about Donald Trump that he should have been indicted for, but he didn't. And we all thought it went away. Turns out it hasn't gone away. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office is said to be returning to an older case against Donald Trump in a new attempt to find a path to finally indict him, according to a new article in the New York Times. Now, D.A. Alvin Bragg, now you remember, he's the one that wasn't sure whether or not to indict Donald Trump regarding his company. But he's seriously looking at indicting Donald Trump for something else. D.A. Alvin Bragg is said to be mulling a return to the investigation regarding hush money payments from Trump to adult film actress Stormy Daniels. The D.A.'s office first examined the $130,000 payments to Daniels years ago before changing direction to focus on Trump's broader business practices. They looked away from this. Now, after federal agents raided Trump, fixer Michael Cohen's office in 2018. The Manhattan DA's office began investigating the payments before moving on to focus on alleged business misconduct. They had other things to look into. Prosecutors with Manhattan's DA's office have previously looked at the 130000 payment to Daniels, which would violate laws against falsifying business records to the point that they've uh, reportedly been calling it a zombie theory. But now they hope to try a different strategy with the aid of Trump Organization's former CFO, Alan Weisselberg. You know what that means? <laughs> they cut a deal with Alan Weisselberg for the, uh, for the uh, company, the testifying against the Trump Organization. Now he's going to have to cut another deal because he was part and parcel to this deal with Stormy Daniels. And here's what you have to understand. Here's what you have to remember. Michael Cohen was convicted of this. He went to jail for this. It's proven that they broke the law. But here's the thing. Michael Cohen couldn't have done any of these things without Donald Trump being involved and Alan Weisselberg being involved. Remember, they, uh, they called Donald Trump the unindicted co-conspirator number one. They didn't do anything with him, probably because he was running for president and all that shit. But now that he's no longer president, they can look at that. I'm sure Alvin Bragg is getting some heat from backing out of indicting Donald Trump for his business practices, although he may still do that. So he's looking at this, and since they've already had one conviction, getting the other two convicted shouldn't be a problem. Now, again, this is a fucked up thing for Alan Weisselberg. He cut a deal. He's got to answer all the questions. He's got to tell the truth, and he'll get five months in jail. 
If he doesn't, he'll get 15 years. So he thinks, I'll do my five months and I'll be on my way. But now we got this old story rearing its ugly head. And now Alan Weisselberg will probably have to cut another deal, probably get more time, or he might get immunity on this, but it ain't going to be Michael Cohen, because Michael Cohen's already been convicted of this. And Alan Weisselberg certainly doesn't want more time in jail. I mean, he's 75 fucking years old. How much time does he have? So this is about Donald Trump. And frankly, Donald Trump is the one that signed the checks. We know that. We saw that when this was first gone over. Why they never indicted Donald Trump in this situation, especially when they decided and proved that it was a crime when they when they convicted Michael Cohen. Why they let him go, I don't know. Other than the fact, like they said, they were looking at the bigger picture and the Trump organization's uh, financial fraud. I don't necessarily buy that. I mean, if you commit a crime, you pay the price. But this is Donald Trump, and not many people made him pay the price ever. Now that Trump is a political candidate, which means the RNC is no longer paying his legal bills, it remains to be seen which investigation into Trump will be the one that finally results in an indictment. We've got Georgia. We've got the DOJ. We've got two things with the DOJ, and we have New York. And now we have the Manhattan District looking at going after him about this Stormy Daniels thing. But his former fixer thinks Trump has officially run out of time. Michael Cohen thinks he's run out of time. The Times reports that Bragg and some of his deputies have recently indicated to associate supporters or at least one lawyer involved in the matter that they are newly optimistic about building a case against Trump. Just what Donald Trump needs, another fucking case, another potential indictment. So what do we got? We got Georgia, Fonnie Willis. We got the DOJ in there on the January 6th insurrection and the top secret documents, and Jack Smith is going to fuck them up there. Now we have the Manhattan District with the possible, well, we have the court case, that's um, in the process right now with the indictment against the Trump organization, which will have huge impact on Donald Trump's financial situation. But now the Manhattan District is also looking at the Stormy Daniels situation. One of these indictments is going to come through, probably multiple indictments, and other people are going to fall with him in this situation. Donald Trump's head has to be spinning. Just when he thinks there's been too much, that it's more than he can handle, that he can't possibly juggle it, what happens? The Republican Party says, we're not paying your legal fees anymore. He's not collecting as much in his grift, trying to get money from the Trump His mega donors are falling by the wayside. His support in the Republican Party is pulling away from him. And now when it seems to be the bleakest, (laughs) the Manhattan District steps up and says, oh, yeah, that Stormy Daniels thing. Uh, You may need to go to jail for that motherfucker or at least be fined ridiculously and go on probation. So things continue to look bad for Donald Trump, and they seem to get worse every day. Every goddamn day something happens to Donald Trump. And, you know, it's rather enjoyable to see this. I enjoy seeing Donald Trump squirm. And you can tell he's squirming. The way he's reacting on True Social, 
instead of being the tough guy and yelling threats, he knows that's not working anymore. So now he's kind of whimpering, you know. He's claiming to be the victim, and this should be double jeopardy, and I've been proven not guilty on everything. No, you haven't, Donald. There's a lot of things you've been proven guilty with that you haven't been held accountable for. Well, your time has come. The shit is going to fly. And Donald, I'm sorry to say this, but you have no control anymore. You can't bully anybody anymore. You can't buy your way out of it anymore. You're losing money. You're hemorrhaging money. And you have no way to get more. Donald Trump will probably fold up and die from just being broke, let alone being indicted. But those indictments are coming. And with Jack Smith in the DOJ, you can almost guarantee there's going to be at least one, probably two indictments coming out of them. If they decide to go after the Stormy Daniels situation, he's got to get indicted. They've already proved there was a crime committed. They already put Michael Cohen in fucking jail. Donald Trump's signature is on the check. Of course he's fucking guilty. You know, it's funny, when Donald Trump took office in 2016, I knew he would fuck himself up. I knew he would ultimately get caught, and I knew he would ultimately get cornered with no way out. I have to tell you, though, no way in my wildest dreams did I think it would take this long. I mean, Donald Trump is a fuck-up by nature. He makes mistakes. He uh, implicates himself constantly. And I would have thought by now our judicial system, our legal system, would have taken them down by now. And by rights, they should have by now. If what they say is no one's above the law, then that should mean he should already be indicted. But good things come to those who wait, apparently. Because it looks like it's getting closer, ever so closer, to Donald Trump being taken down. And that's going to be a big relief for this country. Take him out of the narrative. Shut him up. Because he causes more of a stir and more problems than anybody else in the history of this country. Now, his, his following is becoming less and less. But they're still there and they're still noisy. So at some point, they've got to be shut down and shut up. And I really feel like we're getting close. I don't know if the Stormy Daniels will ultimately turn into an indictment. It should. I mean, the facts are there. It's already been litigated. It's already been identified as a crime. And Donald Trump was certainly involved. They called him an unindicted co-conspirator, number one. Now, you can't have a conspiracy with just one person. Michael Cohen is the only one that went to jail. You have to have at least one other person in a conspiracy, and that one other person has to be Donald Trump. It really can't be anybody else. So by rights, he should get taken down for this. We don't know a lot about Alvin Bragg. We know he kind of wussed out on going after him for his own company. But he is prosecuting the Trump organization. He did uh, accept a plead with Alan Weisselberg, the CFO. So maybe he's seeing 
that uh, <clears throat> some of the things he's doing isn't looking too good, and come a next election, it might cause him a problem, so he needs to start doing some things. And he probably looked at the Stormy Daniels and, th- and such said, well, this isn't complicated. This is pretty cut and dried. Let's go this way so I can at least say I indicted Donald Trump on something. So we'll see what happens. We'll see how it works out. And we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Well, we've been talking about how Supreme Court Justice Alito has found himself neck deep in shit. He is the one that wrote the decision on overturning Roe v. Wade. And, of course, it got leaked. Everybody was up in arms. Oh, we're going to find that guy or that gal that leaked that, and they're in so much trouble. Yet, nobody was ever found to have done it. And it kind of laid there for a while, but then, as I told you in a previous podcast, there's a report that in 2014, Judge Alito leaked another decision that he also happened to write, and it's regarding a, a, a case involving Hobby Lobby. And apparently, he got tied up with a, a group, uh, a guy named Reverend Schenk, I think his name is, and he was trying to put together uh, the Supreme Court justice with rich people who had a stake in that particular case. And Shank did that, and a lot of money changed hands. I mean, you don't get to meet and be in the audience of a Supreme Court justice unless you're a big donor, and they've said as much. And this big donor um, donated a shitload of money, and in this meeting, apparently, Judge Alito leaked out that uh, Judge Alito and his wife, by the way, leaked out what an upcoming decision would be on this Hobby Lobby thing. Now, to leak out something like that from the Supreme Court is a serious offense. I don't know what the punishment for it is, because apparently the Supreme Court doesn't have any code of ethics, which is just fucking mind-blowing to me. But anyway... This Schenck guy, who was a supporter of Alito and against Roe v. Wade and all this other stuff, uh, changed his mind. He had some experiences. And now he's changed his mind on reproductive rights. And then when he heard that this Roe v. Wade thing, this overturning of Roe v. Wade and the decision leaking out, he recalled that time when he knew Alito leaked out something else. So he writes a letter to John Robert, the Supreme Court Chief Justice, and says, hey, I don't know if this is helpful, but I know you're looking for the leaker, and I just thought this little story about what happened in 2014 might help you out. And you can imagine what Chief Justice John Robert did. He did nothing. He didn't even answer the letter. So, Now there are people on the Democratic side of things that are a little upset about this, and and, uh, they have good reason to be upset about it. It puts in question the credibility of the Supreme Court. It makes the Supreme Court partisan. It makes them a little corrupt that they're being controlled by dark money. So top Democrats on the House and Senate Judiciary Committees demanded on Sunday— that Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts 
comply with their investigation into the court's refusal to abide by ethics laws. And if the court continues to suggest it's not serious about policing itself, Congress will step in, warned the joint letter from Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat from Rhode Island, and Hank Johnson, Democrat from Georgia, chairs of the subcommittees overseeing the federal judiciary in their respective chambers. Now, if the court is not willing to undertake fact-finding inquiries into possible ethics violation, that leaves Congress as the only forum, they wrote. So they're basically saying, uh, clean up your shit or we're coming. Now, I don't know how much pressure they can really pull. I mean, we've got the Supreme Court. Now, we have ethics codes for federal courts, but for whatever reason, not the Supreme Court. These people in the Supreme Court get appointed for life, and they apparently can do whatever they fucking want to do. But much like what we had with Donald Trump when he was president, we had those norms that nobody would ever break. And most of the time, nobody ever did, except Donald Trump broke every one of them. And since Donald Trump and the trump have bled over into every other branch of government, including the Supreme Court, they're doing the same thing. They're doing things that no Supreme Court justice would ever do, but they figured, fuck it, we can get away with it. Now, the letter, the letter came a day after the New York Times reported that Justice Samuel Alito leaked the outcome of a 2014 decision in the case of Hobby Lobby versus Burwell. Alito reportedly spoke about the decision ahead of its release to Supreme Court Historical Society donors. Now, these two lawmakers said, look, we have a right to investigate the court and demand Roberts provide information related to the influence operation run by Schenck through his Faith and Action Group. See, that's what he was doing. He was collecting money and putting rich people together with the Supreme Court, and they were making their donations to the Supreme Court Historical Association, which means under the fucking table. They also demanded information about Schenck's letter to Roberts in July. They want to see the letter and wonder why Roberts didn't do anything about it when he was informed about it. See, now that puts Roberts in question in terms of his credibility. Somebody tells you something happened, something unethical in your Supreme Court. You are the chief justice and you do nothing about it. Well, that's a little fishy. They disclosed that they learned about the Hobby Lobby outcome days before it came down from one of his volunteers after she attended a dinner with Alito and his wife, Schenck sent his letter as part of the court's investigation into the leak of the Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health Organization decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. Now, of course, um, of course, Alito has, has denied all this stuff. I mean, we, we couldn't possibly imagine a Supreme Court justice owning up to something or telling the truth. I mean, lying seems to be second nature to the trump Supreme Court justices. All of them said, no, Roe v. Wade's untouchable. That's settled law. We won't fuck with it. And the first chance they get, they fuck with it. Now, White House and Johnson, and I will just say this, Sheldon Whitehouse, I like this guy. He is sharp as a tack. And uh, 
And he goes after people. He knows what the fuck he's talking. He was a prosecutor. He knows what he's talking about. And he knows his shit. He is a sharp guy. I would say he would be a good president, save for the fact he's an old white guy. So in my estimation, he should leave it to the younger folks. Now, White House and Johnson asked Roberts to identify the individuals or offices involved in the investigation, any element of the influence campaign or Shanks' allegations about Alito. It also asked him to identify those in charge of policing relationships between the Supreme Court and the uh, Supreme Court Historical Society to ensure that paid membership in the society is not used as a means of gaining undue influence. Well, I'm sure there is none. I'm sure it's a fucking free-for-all. People pour money into the historical society of the Supreme Court, and what do they do? They go in the back room and divvy this shit up between themselves? In a sign that their investigation is moving towards hearings, the two lawmakers stated that the court should designate an individual knowledgeable about these issues to provide testimonies to us, issues related to ethics or reporting questions raised about justice's conduct. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, come January, the House is going to be in control with the Republicans, so... They won't be able to do these investigations. Oh, no, no, no. They can do it in the Senate, which is probably what they would do. I don't think you'll get many Republicans jumping on board here. I mean, their greatest lottery is when they can get another Republican judge or conservative judge in the Supreme Court. So they're not going to want to fuck with this. And the House of Representatives, as long as they've got a slight majority, the House isn't going to be part of it, I don't think. But the Senate can be because... Republicans do have the majority there. Now, the letter to Roberts on Sunday followed up on a prior inquiry White House and Johnson made on September 7th after Politico first reported on Shank's influence campaign. So this has been going on quite a while. They've known about this. And now these 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 two... Uh, politicians, they demanded answers about how many justices were provided travel, dinners, lodging, and other hospitality from uh, donors connected to Shank's influence operation, and why the justices did not disclose these gifts on their annual financial disclosure statements. Uh, There you go. There's where the problems come in. If they are doing this sort of thing, They got problems. They got big problems. Again, we're talking about a Supreme Court that has no code of ethics. And for the life of me, I don't know how that ever fucking happened. I mean, as much as they are Supreme Court justices, they're supposed to be above it all, but they are still flesh and blood humans. And they can be coerced or tainted with money. And clearly, that's what happened here. Progressive groups called for a Senate investigation into the Alito allegations following their disclosure on Saturday. Since Democrats lost control of the House in the midterm elections, Johnson will lose the gavel of the House Judiciary Committee's subcommittee overseeing the courts in January. But Democrats, as I said, kept control of the Senate. So Alito's not going to get off the hook that easy. And you would think some Republicans would want to look into this, too. I mean, if our Supreme Court has no credibility, 
That's one whole branch of our government that really puts us in a bad fucking situation. If we can't trust our Supreme Court, we don't have a Supreme Court. So while the House won't be an option here after January, White House, Senator White House, can still compel testimony and hold hearings through the subcommittee he chairs on the Senate Judiciary Committee for at least the next two years. So, as much as the Republicans would want to shut this down, and they will in the House, they can't do it in the Senate because the Democrats hold power in the Senate for at least the next two years. So let's hope against hope that they investigate this hard and deep. We need to fix some things within our Supreme Court. If we're not in a position to stack the court and even things out, we need to hold the people that are committing crimes and uh, involved in corruption in our Supreme Court. We need to hold them accountable, not just Alito. Alito is probably the easiest one to address. But we also have Clarence Thomas. He's doing some unethical things by not recusing himself from any cases that have to do with January 6th because he happens to be married by one of the forces behind the insurrection, one of the people that was involved in the attempted coup. So as much as the House has been involved in the January 6th hearings, that will likely end in January when the Republicans take over. Senate can pick that up, pick that mantle up and keep it going, but at the very least, they should be looking into the Supreme Court. So hearings aren't nearly over. We still have a lot of hearings yet to come. And we're going to see the, presumably an end hearing or a, or a last words or a What do they call that in court? I've said it many times. Anyway, they're going to issue a report on January 6th, and they'll do it in public about all the things they know about what happened January 6th. And we'll see if the Senate picks up that investigation and carries it further. But I wouldn't worry about that too much. Even if the House January 6th committee ends in January or January 1st, The DOJ is already in this. They already have a grand jury with the January 6th committee, and those are the people that can actually do something. Those are the people that can compel people to testify or put them in jail. They're the people that can send out the indictments. All the J6 committee can do is expose the criminality and the corruption to the general public, which then puts more pressure onto the DOJ. So you're likely to see something like that with the Senate, assuming Justice, Chief Justice John Roberts doesn't do something. Now, this is putting him in a bad spot. He is the, the Chief Justice, of course, but we found out he doesn't have a lot of fucking power. He can't stop Clarence Thomas from fucking up and not recusing himself. He apparently has no power over Alito leaking shit. So his position as Chief Justice, I don't know, that might be in name only. But now he's been, he's been uh, um, informed of the circumstances. So we'll see if Judge John Roberts does anything. But if he doesn't, you can almost guarantee somebody like White House in the Senate is going to start some shit. 
and it's going to expose a lot of shit, and it's going to do a lot of damage. It's going to prove that our Supreme Court is not supreme at all, that it is a joke. It's like a fucking kangaroo court, and it's something we really need to fix. We can't just wait till these people die and get better people in there. We've got to fix it now, because if the Supreme Court isn't working properly, this country isn't working properly. All right. We talked about Alan Weisselberg earlier. He is the CFO of the Trump Organization. He pleaded guilty to committing tax fraud earlier this year, but he notably did not implicate his boss directly, former President Donald Trump, in any of the schemes. Now, the New York Times reports that prosecutors may not yet be done with him in trying to get Weisselberg to flip. I was telling you about this earlier. They did everything they could to get him to flip on Donald Trump, but he wouldn't do it. So they cut a deal with him and said, you'll be in jail for five months, but you got to testify against the company, not Donald Trump, which is weird because the company is Donald Trump. So it's kind of a bullshit, bullshit uh, loophole for him. But so he's thinking, okay, I'll just go through this. I'll do my five months and I'll get out. Not so fast, Mr. Weisselberg. They are considering, as I said, a new round of charges against Mr. Weisselberg in hopes of securing his cooperation against the former president. You see, because Weisselberg was part of this thing with paying off Stormy Daniels. He had to be involved. He was involved in any monetary transaction. And I think his monetary transaction was repaying Michael Cohen, because you remember Michael Cohen wrote the check to Stormy Daniels, and then he was going to be paid back by Donald Trump and the Trump Organization, which he was, which creates a paper trail saying Donald Trump and Alan Weisselberg were involved. Now, while Trump has never been charged for authorizing the payments, longtime attorney and fixer Michael Cohen was criminally charged. He went to fucking jail. He did serve prison time for his role in the hush money scheme. However, the Times report cautions that even new charges may not be enough to get Weisselberg to flip. Well, that's true. But he already did flip once. He's going to jail for five months unless he lies. And then he's going to jail for 15 years. If they have a new case, they say, okay, Alan, we're going to run you through a new fucking trial while you're doing the five months. And maybe by the time you get out, we'll have some more time for you. Weisselberg has to look at the situation with Donald Trump. Everybody is bailing on him. Everybody is throwing him under the bus. There has to come a point when a 75-year-old man says, I just got to save myself. Donald Trump is a a sinking ship. I can't keep saving this guy. So we'll see what happens. Now, Mr. Weisselberg, who has direct knowledge of the hush money payment, has long resisted the prosecutorial pressure campaign, repeatedly stymieing the investigation into Mr. Trump. There is little indication that the loyal executive, the former president's financial gatekeeper for decades, will suddenly give in. Like I say, I don't know that. I mean, he's going for five months, assuming he tells the truth. 
They come up with another case where he could be charged again, and it could be four or five years. Now, if he wants to get it four or five years, and he wants to get that down a little bit, <clears throat> he's going to have to plead out again. Alan Weisselberg has been in hell for some time. And just when he thought hell was going to be done, <laughs> it's not. It's not. They're going to run him through it again. He's a 75-year-old man. How much shit can he take? How long can he stand up for Donald Trump when everybody else in the world is throwing him to the wolves? I don't know. I look at it as Weisselberg really has only one choice, or he could die in prison. And that is to give up some more information on Donald Trump. Because he can't do it for just the company anymore. He's got to go for Donald Trump. That's where the focus of the investigation is. So he doesn't really have any choice. If they convict him and he has a sentence of five years, well, that's a long time for a guy that's 70 fucking five. I don't know. I think he'll cave this time. That's just me. I could be wrong. If he doesn't, he's absolutely stupid. Well, Donald Trump is out making new friends again. Remember um, remember when he told people that he was Israel's best friend and they better start standing up for him? Well, the former president, Trump, in an address before a prominent Jewish organization, suggested that evangelical Christians care more about Israel than the Jewish people. You're standing in front of a bunch of Jewish people and you put them down and you say shit like that. Oh, that's going to work for you, Donnie. You're flailing now. You're pulling shit out of your ass, hoping you can shame these people into helping you. Well, it's not going to work. Trump gave a speech before the Republican Jewish coalition over the weekend, during which he bragged that he was the greatest friend to Israel. His speech was laden with jabs at President Joe Biden. He ripped on his successor's overall performance in office, claimed Israel's alliance with the U.S. is not even strong by a little bit on Biden's watch, and also claimed Biden betrayed Israel and the Jewish community. Now, he didn't say how he did that, but uh, that's his attitude. Now, aside from telling the conference to rally for the restoration of his Twitter account, Trump spoke about what he called his great fondness for Jewish people and for Israel. Now, everything I've heard about him in the past, he's probably the biggest anti-Semite I've ever heard. He goes on to say, I hope people in the United States share that, Trump said, because some people in the United States, Jewish people, don't appreciate Israel the way they should. I'll tell you who does appreciate Israel very much are the evangelicals, because evangelicals are on your side. Evangelical Christians, they really are on your side. But I appreciate Israel, and it's an honor to have, I think, done far more for Israel than any other president, which is not true, which is not true. Throughout his life in politics, Trump has repeatedly harped about American Jews who critiqued Israel or didn't express sufficient support for the country. Trump, of course, complained about um, his lack of support from Jews and claimed that those who refuse to support him are disloyal to Israel. So if you don't support Donald Trump, you don't support Israel. 
How do you figure the Jewish folks are going to take to that? Donald Trump thinks he can say anything. He thinks he can persuade anybody. And when that doesn't work, he tries to bully them or shame them. Well, I'm not Jewish. I do know some Jewish folks. But uh, regardless of whether they're Jewish or Lutheran or whatever, it doesn't matter. You don't get them to help you if you're trying to embarrass or shame them. That's a bad move, Donald Trump. It's not going to work. It almost doesn't matter at this point because everybody else in the world is against you now. Everybody is throwing you under the bus. You might as well piss off the Jewish folks, too. All right, let's wrap things up here with a, a little talk about Herschel Walker. I want to talk about Herschel Walker because we've got to keep this in the forefront as we're approaching this runoff election on December 6th. This is an important election. I mean, the Democrats already have the majority in the Senate, but it would be so nice to get one more. And I can't see for the life of me how Raphael Warnock could possibly lose I mean, Herschel Walker is, a, I, you know, I keep wanting to say that he's an idiot, but I may be being mean when I say that. You see, Herschel Walker has residual brain damage from his years of football. Aside from impacting short-term memory, CTE has other side effects that would keep most people far away from politics because a traumatic brain injury leaves them with zero filters. Sound like somebody we know? One of Walker's most obvious impairments is repeating the last thing he heard or saw as a real accepted facts that exist in real world everyone lives in. And we've heard him do this. And he does a horrible job of repeating facts and figures. I mean, you would think Donald Trump uh, played football too because he does the same thing. If he sees it on Fox, he just spews it out as if it's fact, as it's gospel from God. Now, that's how we got Walker, who was still viable enough of a candidate for the real, actual Senate, that there has to be a runoff election. It's amazing he got that close. And, and, and it's frightening to imagine that he could win that runoff race. I don't know how. Now, if you saw the, the video during the two, 2012 campaign season, You'd vote for that person's opponent as fast as you could, right? Oh, how far politics have fallen in just one decade. Last time I checked, most people have a a turkey on Thanksgiving, but maybe Herschel had just watched a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving and thinks we should all be eating toast and jelly beans. Herschel Walker, as much as I want to say he's stupid... He may have some physical impairment, certainly some emotional impairment. And how sad is that, that the Republicans have put all their eggs in his basket? That's the absolute best they can do in coming up with a candidate for the U.S. Senate in Georgia. It's pretty sad. Now, if Herschel's sick, I don't want to make fun of him. If he's just stupid, I'm going to make fun of him all day long. I don't know which is true. But the bottom line is, regardless of what is true, he has no business being a senator. And if he becomes a senator, it is a danger to this country, and it is a danger to the state of Georgia. 
So we've got to uh, we've got to get together and make sure everybody knows what's up, what's wrong with Herschel Walker. And we've got to get as many people out in Georgia to vote as possible. We just cannot have Herschel Walker as a U.S. senator. It's just not going to go well. And it's going to be embarrassing for the people of Georgia, not to mention the people of this country. Actually, I got one more story before we wrap things up. You know the seditious conspiracy case with uh, Elmer Stewart Rhodes and I think three other Oath Keepers? Well, that court case is done. The jury is out and we're waiting for a verdict from that case. And everything I've heard... Uh, there, there, there's the uh, former prosecutor who's on TikTok and on TV, Kirshner, Glenn Kirshner. He says he sat through all six weeks of the trial, and he said that the prosecution put on an amazing case, and he would be surprised if any of these guys get out. They will be convicted of seditious conspiracy, and they will be sent to long jail, jail terms. Now, as angry supporters of President Donald Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol, ready to smash through windows and beat police officers, Oath Keepers founder Stuart Rhodes extolled them as patriots and hearkened back to the battle that kicked off the American Revolutionary War. Next comes our Lexington. January 6, 2021. It's coming. I wonder if that's how he's feeling now, now that he's on the verge of being sentenced to jail for the better part of the rest of his life. It could be a 20-year jail term. I don't know that he'll get that much, but it'll be a long time, certainly longer than what uh, Alan Weisselberg got. It won't be five months. It will be years. I think the longest we've seen so far is like six years of some of the uh, insurrectionists. But this is a much different situation. This is seditious conspiracy. This is far serious, more serious than anything any, uh, any other insurrectionist has been charged with. So if six years was the top of what we've seen already, you can bet it's going to extend beyond that. And these people are going to lose their shit. They no doubt, what they should have done is given up Donald Trump and some of the other politicians and cut their sentences. But it doesn't look like they did that. They were tough soldiers all the way. But now in a matter of hours or days, we're going to find out what's going to happen to these people. And they most certainly will go to jail. So that could happen this week. That could happen yet this week. So as I've said, we've got plenty of things happening And it's going to be very interesting to see how that court case comes out. It can't be good for the Oath Keepers. It just can't. Nothing has gone their way. And it's going to be interesting to see how Donald Trump reacts to this. Because if they get convicted of seditious conspiracy, that opens the door for all the sitting members of Congress and he himself that may be tied to the insurrection that their involvement somehow helped to push along this insurrection. They could be under the microscope, too, for seditious conspiracy. Can you imagine Marjorie Taylor Greene 
being indicted for seditious conspiracy and getting a jail term of 10, 15 years, I would fucking love that. She could scream from the jail cell for the rest of her life, but she will be done. And she's not the only one. Paul Gozar, Andy Biggs, Matt Gates, Jim Jordan. All these people have the potential to be charged with seditious conspiracy because that's what they did. The essence of conspiracy is having at least one or maybe multiple people involved in the plan. And if you're giving tours or if you're giving information or passing along communications, you are part of the conspiracy. So this verdict will say a lot and it will put the fear of God in these other people that have yet to be exposed. All right, we are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.